So this morning I want to talk a lot about trust, and Paul mentioned it earlier when he prayed, trust in him with our whole lives in every circumstance. And I want to talk to you this morning about living generously. So a verse that we often would quote, isn't it, when we talk about trust is Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Maybe loads of us could just say this without even looking at it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. So this verse is like the advice from a father to a son to pursue God and his wisdom with passion and purpose. And I'm not just saying a son, it's to a daughter too, it's to all of us. So imagine um, a father talking to his son or daughter. So a wise son or daughter realizes we need to trust the father. We need to just not lean on our own limited, finite understanding. And the Hebrew word translated trust here is like a picture of a servant lying helpless, lying face down, waiting for direction from his master. And here to lean implies to rest upon, to rely on, to cling to, to be totally supported by. So the action of trust in the Hebrew is placing your reliance and confidence in another for security and safety. So we need to let go of self-reliance. We need to seek God's direction and place our confidence in him. And it's true, isn't it? Loads of times we just want to do things our own way. Our confidence, we say it's in God, but is it really? It's really in our own selves, maybe in people around us, in our own skills, our resources, our jobs, our finance. You know, we, we don't really surrender. I think, you know, that song we sing, I surrender all, all to thee, my blessed Savior. Do we really surrender all? And, you know, we often read that passage in Proverbs 3, don't we? And we just stop at Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. So that's very nice, trust in God. We don't often read on. And verse 9 and 10, it says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. So this is more advice from the father to the, the son or daughter. Present a sacrificial offering to the God whose storehouse is always overflowing. So in the Old Testament, the Israelites placed the first fruits of their harvest on the altar to acknowledge that God governed the harvest and he would grant them provision. And there's loads more verses that are similar to that about first fruits. So we do our best when we give God to God with thankful hearts because he takes care of his children. So we're talking about becoming in this series. Surely we're becoming more like him when we trust him more, when we're surrendering and obeying his word and honoring him with our wealth and our first fruits. And I read this in a little study, which really was really good. Embrace generosity to express gratitude to God. I love that. It's really straightforward. And also, I've been reading this really good book. I did bring it. Oh, yes, it's um, maybe more for the ladies, but it's by Lisa Turkers. She spoke at the women's conference a couple of years ago called It's Not Supposed to Be This Way. It's really good. Recommend it. But she talks, she's had like a really difficult time in her life, in her marriage and suffering from breast cancer and things like that. So that's why the book's called It's Not Supposed to Be This Way. And she says, God's best is the only source of true satisfaction. He's the only answer to our every desire. He's got a good plan for good things. And it's amazing, 
really that she's still saying that even of all the difficult things she's been through and she talks about sorry James 1 16 to 17 um, don't be deceived my dear brothers and sisters every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of the heavenly lights who does not change like the shifting shadows every good and perfect gift is from above and we sing that song don't we it's your breath in our lungs our very breath comes from the living God and um, this is one of the things that Lisa said in her book that really stood out to me the enemy wants us to be caught up in pursuit of desires that never satisfy and he wants to draw our attention our affection and our worship away from God God who is the only true fulfillment of our heart's longings and she says Satan rebelled against the creator and he wants us to do the same so this really struck me so much the enemy wants you to be more enamored with the pleasures of created things than the pleasure of the creator himself and it's really true of our world isn't it everywhere we go it's kind of screams at us there's the lure of money and stuff and more stuff so like little adverts like this you know sign up to your credit card today get five percent off at the checkout I thought Paul might even be sucked in by this credit card because it is a view of a mountain top and a backpack and the strap line is new exclusive card feature for more breathtaking moments so and you know the things like more of what you want apply now there's so many tricks out there aren't there to try and get our money and everyone pretty much everyone I knew would like more money would probably be lying if we said we didn't you know we see these free offers we see competitions you know and it tracks our attention I don't think we'd be like hey I'm good no that's fine keep your free money I don't want any of it and I've got a confession to make this is an actual picture of my TV and I took a picture of this so I could enter this competition um, they come up don't they after like TV shows in the morning and the evening like win 50,000 on a Jeep but the thing is like if you see me driving around in a Jeep you're gonna know what's happened <laughs> but the thing is when you phone up it costs two pounds or it's like this call will cost two pounds plus your standard network rate I'm like there's no way I am paying two pounds to enter a competition so I am the saddest person I actually get an envelope and a stamp I write the competition address I post my name and address they probably don't even open the envelopes <laughs> yeah <laughs> so like I, I swear I actually put the in the letterbox yesterday so you know maybe I'll win the hundred grand I don't know but it's true isn't it we are like that oh if only I had a thousand pounds more I could do this or if I had ten grand more I could do this or if I won who wants to be a millionaire but people get money and they're still freaked out no matter how much we have and we actually live in the fourth wealthiest country in the UK and um, that was in 2017 if you're interested we were behind USA China and Japan and sometimes some of us I think we don't feel that wealthy you know we think oh well, we don't really have that much money and I used to work for a tear fund um, a few years ago and part of my job was talking to young people and students about God's heart for the poor and for justice and all those things and I use some quotes like this if you have food in your fridge, clothes on your back, a roof over your head and a place to sleep, you're richer than 75% of the world. 
If you have money in the bank, your wallet and some spare change, you're among the top 8% of the world's wealthy. So really we are wealthy even if we don't think we are. And you know, sometimes it doesn't feel that way, does it? We still get stressed out by money, but I don't think it's about how much we have. I think it's about how much we give. And this morning, I am going to be pretty straight up and frank about a lot of this stuff. And I feel like genera generosity in our lives, it's, it's what's going to break this stuff over us. It's going to break the power of greed. And um, I've got loads of Bible verses to show you because the scriptures are very clear about this and they teach it the whole way through from front to back. And it really gives us freedom. So um, I've got loads of verses to share with you this morning. Luke 6, 37 to 38. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And then 2 Corinthians 8 verse 7 says, But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. So this whole series about becoming, if we know and follow God, we want to become more loving, don't we? We want to become more gracious. We want to be more forgiving than this time last year. And we all come to faith in different ways. Some of us have grown up in the church all of our lives. Some of us didn't grow up in church. Some of us grew up in church and wish we hadn't grown up in church. But we all come to know Jesus in different ways. And we as leaders, we watch people grow. And it's our greatest joy when people grow in their prayer life or they grow how to serve one another or forgiveness. All kinds of ways we're becoming more like Jesus. But the scripture here is very clear. As we grow in these, all these different ways, see that we also excel in this grace of giving. And it's amazing when we ourselves learn to be more generous with our money and we see other people around us be more generous. When Jesus wants to get your attention in the Gospels on any topic, he uses money for illustrative purposes. So you can read his stories. He, when he talks about forgiveness, he uses money. When he talks about loving people well, he talks about money. When he talks about meaning and purpose in our life, using our talents, he uses illustrations about money. And I think he wants to use money because it makes it really real and concrete, doesn't it? It's really tangible. You know, we can get into these spiritual conversations like, I just love God. I love how we love one another. I love, I just love, love, love. Isn't it amazing? And it's like, what does that even mean? Or we can use big words or Christian jargon without understanding it. For faith to be real, it needs to be concrete. And there's nothing more concrete than our calendar and our budget. So when Jesus wants to get your attention and talk about where you're at, he says, I think we're going to need to talk about your money. We need to talk about what actually happens with your budget, how your numbers stack up. And we're not going to talk about what you say you want to believe, what you intend to believe, about how it feels. We're going to talk about what actually happens. And he does this over and over in the New Testament. So we're going to be concrete today as Jesus is concrete. And sometimes it's a bit awkward, isn't it, when we talk about money? It's a bit like, ooh, 
Some of you may be getting worried, but don't worry. I don't have go-go gadget arms. I can't reach in and take your wallet. <laughs> You're going to have to make the decisions for yourself. But we all need to figure out for ourselves what it means to follow God. So that verse, what your money says, what you do with your money says something about how you believe in grace and how much you trust God. This is about trust. So that verse from 2 Corinthians 8 is the key verse this morning. See that ye also excel in this grace of giving. I'm going to walk through some layers this morning. I'm going to be really frank and honest. And in the room, I'm going to address one of four groups of people. And every single one of you in the room will be in one of those four groups. I'm not going to leave anyone out. And I want to challenge you this morning. If you're in group one, the challenge is to move up to group two. If you're in group three... Group two, move to group three, group three, group, move to group four. I was trying to find some pictures to represent groups. And when I typed this into Google, um, this picture came up. Oh, no. No, not that one. Yes, that one. It was a baby car seat because obviously they must be in categories like group one. Yes, the parents are nodding. And I kind of thought, that picture doesn't really work. But then I thought, mm, well, maybe it does work. You know, maybe some of us are still in our baby seat. Maybe God's prompting us in this area to excel in this grace of giving. We've talked about growing up in our faith and maybe that's something we have to do. So I'm going to start with group one so we can have a nice little picture. Group one, listen up if you're in group one. Group one are the people who don't give anything at all, who don't give to church or to God or in any way like that. And I'm really sorry, I tried to find UK stats, but I couldn't. But stats in church in America are church-going believers, one-fifth of people committed to attending church who love and follow Jesus don't give anything at all. So one-fifth of people maybe here don't. I don't know if it matches up, it probably does, because we are quite similar. And for this group of people, it's not maybe what you're thinking, it's what you're not thinking. So if you're here and you don't give... Maybe you're just not thinking about giving. Maybe your mind and your affections are concentrated on something else. Or maybe we're still in that space of, well, I don't really have enough. So, you know, when I have enough, I'll give. Um, so we're, we're kind of fixated on the fact that what we have is not enough and that we need something else. And as ever, I want to bring it back to Scripture. So in Ecclesiastes 5, verse 10 and 11, it speaks about this. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? So, so many people, no matter what they have, are convinced that they don't have enough. And they're always thinking of what's the next thing I need to get. And sometimes... To be honest, it's true, isn't it? Other people kind of do make us feel a bit like that because maybe you pull out your phone and someone's like, what, you've still got an iPhone 5, loser? <laughs> you know, <laughs> or, you know, someone like looks at your TV and goes, hmm, your TV, it's not very modern, is it, or whatever. You know, maybe you might feel a bit weak about the things that you don't have, like 
I was kind of laughing about this to myself because um, people might have seen our car. Um, it is a Ford S-Max, which is a really good quality car, but it's not in the best condition and um, not helped by a few scrapes that I have had along the way. And not just me, Paul has had some as well. <laughs> okay, Paul's had one, the rest are me. But... Um, we have this nice guy that we take our car to to get the paintwork done, who I've known for quite a long time, who my dad had to take his car to when I was driving it. So a few little scrapes, and we took it along to our friend, and um, he was fixing it up, and then Paul went to pick it up. And he just said to Paul, well, I kind of patched it up a bit, but I didn't really bother too much because it is a bit of a dodgem, isn't it? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, fair enough, it is. So, like, you know... Cars aren't a big deal to me, like, thankfully. Otherwise, I'd probably be more careful. But maybe that's your thing, and maybe people would maybe fe make you feel not so good if you didn't have a cool car whatever. That We all have our thing, don't we? But in this day and age, did you know there's millions of pounds aligned against you? There's people sitting in boardrooms with your demographic on their marker board. So whether you're sitting here, you're single, you're married, you're a parent, you're young, you're old... You know, your socioeconomic status is on that board to, ma to make you feel uncomfortable with what you have, to make you believe that you don't have enough, to make you believe if you just had that one thing, your whole life would be different. You would be a different person, you know. So, like, this pocket-pulling power, new links bullet, Google links adverts, it's pretty interesting what comes up. But, you know, if, if I just spray this body spray on me, I'm going to have pocket-pulling power. You know, it's really stupid when you think about it. But it, it works, doesn't it? It influences us. All these things influence us. You know, it's to make us think, be dissatisfied with what, who we are and what we have. But actually... We live in one of the wealthiest nations in history, as I've said. If we can't figure out how to be generous, if we can't figure out how to give well, who is going to? You know, we get duped into feeling, oh, I don't have enough. But even people who have millions of pounds maybe get stressed and feel like they don't have enough. You don't need just a little more. It's not going to change it. In fact, it might bring a totally different kind of stress. You know, what Jesus says is true. Generosity is a condition of the heart and soul, full stop. So if we're in their first grip that don't give, I think we need to learn to break that grip of greed, the grip of what society tells us we need by being generous. And if we're waiting to give when we feel like we have enough, I'm afraid that feeling will never arrive. So group two, um, I want to talk to you this morning, are those people who maybe just give every so often or sporadically. And maybe lots of us live this way, many believers, and we might say, oh, well, you know, in my giving, I want to be led by the Spirit. You know, Jesus says you're supposed to give as you feel led. Um, do you know where that is in the Bible? It's not in the Bible. <laughs> Jesus doesn't say, oh, just give as you feel led. You know, Sometimes we're like really moved by something, you know, oh, Paul's done a talk about giving in church, I better like give something this week or, you know, someone does a talk about refugees or Johnny talks about stand by me, oh, you know, I really better give to that or you see you watch children in need or comic relief. 
and you think, oh, right, I better give to that. And I'm totally not saying don't give to those things, please hear me in that. But is it just reactionary all the time? Are we just reacting to something? The challenge is that scriptures tell us to give intentionally, not just sporadically. You know, page after page in the Bible from the Old Testament to the New Testament talks about thinking systematically about how we give, not just from a reflex reaction. Because the thing is, when the guilt goes away or you forget about that thing or you stop hearing about that thing, then your generosity go, goes with it. So God and God's intention is to make you a person where greed and, and that kind of thing is broken in your life. And the verse for this is in 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. Now about the collection for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. So Paul's saying in this scripture, listen up, guys, this should be systematic. When you have money, set it aside. You know, if you're in group one and you don't give, I know it's a big deal to jump into group two. And if you're in group two and you just give sometimes, think about, you know, this giving regularly, you know, not just doing it as a reaction. And then if you're in group three, I really want, or sorry, I'm getting confused now. If you're in group two, I really want you to think about group three, which is talking about tithing. So the Bible talks about systematically being generous so group three is those who tithe some of you are in group three what does that actually mean well a tithe um means 10 percent. it's taught throughout the bible so the verse for this is leviticus 27 30 and there are other verses a tithe from everything from the land whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees belongs to the lord it is holy to the lord and i was um I was looking about this and it said three tithes were actually taken in Old Testament law, which would have added up to around 23%. But in our day and age, we kind of talk about the 10% because those other things in the Old Testament were government things that would have been the equivalent of our taxes. So we would say that some of what that is would, would be paying the government. So we would still say that 10% goes to the work of the Lord. And it's the first 10%, because if we go for the last 10%, where is the last 10%? It kind of disappears, doesn't it? So we spend some money, we pay off some debt, we invest a little, or we save up for our holiday, and then we think, go oh, right, better give my 10%. Uh, oh, it's all gone. <laughs> there is no 10%. So that's why we talk about the first fruits and giving the first 10%. So the scriptures are clear about this. Why tithe? From the front to the back of the Bible, it's talked about every writer, every prophetic voice. So I want to um, show you Malachi chapter 3, 8 to 10. Will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how are we robbing you in tithes and offerings? You're under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. 
That's a really strange text because I don't know if you know this, but in the Bible, God does not say, test me. God is usually saying, trust me, isn't he? But in this, this is literally the one place I found out in the whole Bible where God says, test me, test me in this. And it feels like God's saying to us, listen, I know that this is an emotional thing. I know that it's hard. I know this whole issue of money is difficult. And I know this makes it concrete. You don't have to get it. Just test me in this. See if I am who I say I am. See if I'll do what I say I'll do. It's hard, but just be obedient. Test me. You know, don't test me in anything else, but test me in this. Wait and see what I'm going to do. See if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing there will not be enough room to store it. And um, I just really wanted you to hear this story um, from a guy called Jay Pathak. He's a vineyard pastor in America. And to be honest, he's where I've got loads of this wisdom from about giving and money. So hopefully Jackie will be able to play it for us.
I think that makes the point very well. You know, everything we have is his. It comes from him, like that verse we said earlier, every good and perfect gift comes from above. He doesn't need our money. He doesn't need it. But he asks because he wants that moment with us. You know, that McDonald's moment with a father and a daughter. You know, when God says, give me the first 10%, that's just a sign. It's just saying, you know, I know. It's us saying to God, I know you've given me everything and I'm going to give to you. It's that connection. But how many times do we sit there like the three-year-old going, oh, I don't know, God, I'm not going to give you it. You know, but he steps up and says in his word, test me in this. You know, I'm the one who put breath in your body. I give you life. I made everything. And we're still going, oh, I'm not sure, God. <laughs> but, you know, God's saying, test me in this. And I think it's his gift to us to break that power that's destructive, to break that never-ending churning, wanting more. Test me in this. And sometimes people say, oh, tithing, you know, that was just in the Old Testament. But consider what Jesus says. This is in Luke 11, 42. Woe to you, O Pharisees, because you gave God a tenth of your mint, rue, and other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. Like Jesus said, it's good to tithe, but what about more than a tithe? Maybe that's not even enough. You know, if we're not convinced the tithe applies to New Testament believers, I think that that Maybe it's saying we should give more. You know, what about 20%? You know, the people in the Old Testament hadn't encountered Jesus. They hadn't been filled with the Holy Spirit. They hadn't seen the resurrection. So how much more should we, who have seen and experienced all those things, encountered Jesus' grace, how much more generous should we be? You know, and as we said, we live in one of the wealthiest nations in human history. It's a question of obedience and trust and worshipping of the heart. You know, we don't want to beat around the bush. So if you're in that second group, you know, I'm challenging you to take on more intentional, thoughtful, regular giving, you know. And maybe some of us, you know, we don't pass a basket around in Carrick Vineyard. Maybe a few years ago we just set up a standing order and have left it like that. But have we talked to God recently? Have we inquired of him in this whole area? God, what is it you're asking me to give? So group four um, is for those for whom the tithe is the floor, not the ceiling. So if you're in that third group and you're already tithing, tithing are the training wheels of giving. You know, what would it be like if we were give over and above, if we were generous all the time? You know, I've heard, this sounds crazy, but some people do reverse tithe. Like, they keep 10% and they give away 90%. Like, how amazing is that? Some people decide every single year for the rest of my life, I'm going to increase my giving. Every year, I'm going to let the percentage go up. 
And if you talk to anyone who's learned to tithe, um, if you talk to anyone who lives a really generous life, they'll tell you how it changes their lives. It changes them from the inside out. It's so clearly taught in the Bible, and it's a way to experience a new kind of freedom. So I'm just encouraging you, give more and see how God provides. And at this point, I'll be totally honest, I really wanted a super good story. I really wanted someone who I could bring up to the front or who would give me permission to share their story to, to about how they've learned to do this, how they've grown in this, how they've really learned to be generous, to tithe or to give more and how God has like poured out his blessing on them. But it was really hard for me to find that or to ask someone. So I just really want to issue a challenge to you guys in this next month or so. Like if you step out in this if you inquire of the Lord and if you do this and if you have a story I would love to know about it I will only share it if you give me permission but I just want to hear more stories of generosity of how people have done this and have been set free by it you know and everything we give to the Lord God uses God uses the provision as people give to bless others to see other people walk into a life of Jesus to see freedom so point blank today, are we worshipping him with our wallet? And this came up on my Facebook during the week, and I actually couldn't believe it when I was preparing to talk about this. When God blesses you financially, don't raise your standard of living, raise your standard of giving. That's pretty cool. So don't worry, I'm coming into land. Um, there's another part of Proverbs 3 that we don't often move on to as well after the trust in the Lord bit and the first fruits bit. It actually says in verse 11 to 12, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke, because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father the son he delights in. And this goes back to trust again. You know, God isn't doing this to tell us what to do. He's doing it because he wants that connection and for us to trust him. The action of trust, like we said before, placing your reliance and confidence in another for security and safety, placing our total confidence in God, not just in our money or what's in our bank account, that whole s feeling of surrender. And I just want to finish with these verses in the message. You've probably heard the verse in Corinthians summarized by God loves a cheerful giver. And I just looked them up in the message and I just thought the words were just so powerful. So I'm just going to read this out. Um, 2 Corinthians 9, 6 to 11, the message. Remember, a stingy planter gets a stingy crop. A lavish planter gets a lavish crop. I want each one, I want each of you to take plenty of time to think it over and to make up your own mind what you will give. That will protect you against sob stories and arm twisting. God loves it when the giver delights in the giving. God can pour on the blessings in astonishing ways so that you're ready for anything and everything more than just ready to do what needs to be done. As one psalmist puts it, he throws caution to the winds, giving to the needy in reckless abandon. His right-living, right-giving ways never run out, never wear out. This most generous God, who gives seed to the farmer that becomes bread for your meals, is more than extravagant with you. He gives you something 
you can then give away, which grows into full-formed lives, robust in God, wealthy in every way, so that you can be generous in every way, producing with us great praise to God. So I kind of wanted to say this morning, um, don't really listen to my words, um, but I do kind of want you to listen to them, and especially because most of them came from Jay, who's far wiser than me. But I really want to just say what it says to you in Corinthians. It's not about arm twisting or sob stories. It's about you taking time to think it over and make up your own mind what you want to give. And we've been talking about becoming for a long time now, becoming more like Jesus. We need to become more like him as we trust him with everything. And that verse in Proverbs, in all your ways acknowledge him. Acknowledging him in our money, in our giving, in our generosity, and just excelling in this grace of giving.